Father, I thank you that you lift us up from the beggar's hill, God. You lift us up from the, the curb, God. And you raise us up to reign with you as sons and daughters and princes of the Most High God. So, Lord, we just come before you and we ask, Lord, that as your children that you'd feed us, as your children that you'd speak to us, Lord. Lord, to hear your voice is the greatest thing, Lord, that we need in this hour. We need to hear your voice clearly, the voice of your word speaking to our spirit, quickening us, calling us forth from death to life. Jesus, we're, I'm asking you, Lord, that you would work according to your will, your spirit, in this moment, Lord, in this moment of time, that you'd speak to people in this sanctuary, God, that you'd speak to people listening on the live stream, those that will hear it later, that you'd speak to them and that they'd hear the voice of the Spirit calling them back, calling them home, calling them into intimacy with you again, Lord God, calling them into a life of power and of grace and of love. My God, I pray that you would anoint my lips, touch my lips, Lord, with a coal from your altar. Touch my lips, Lord God, that my words would be your words, that my heartbeat would, would be your heartbeat, Lord, and that I would disappear behind the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, work in this sermon. Lord, work in this altar in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of this message is, Come Out of Her, My People. Come Out of Her, My People, taken from Revelation 18.4. What is the most important thing to God in his people? What, what is number one with God? If God were to say, this is the most important thing I want to see in the hearts of my people, it's to love our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. And the second you know is like it, it's love your neighbor as yourself. But you can't love people if you don't get the first one right. If you don't love God, you cannot love people with anything but a carnal and a fleshly and a natural love. It is not the, the Spirit's love, the agape love of God. That only comes if the order is right, if we're loving God first. Then he gives us grace. He gives us his heart to love people with Christ's love. Love is jealous. Love is exclusive. The first two of the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God were about single-hearted devotion to God. They describe the kind of love that God requires from us to be in relationship with him. Would you please stand for the reading of the word Exodus 20, 2 through 6. <clears throat> I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This declares the exclusive relationship God requires. No others. No others next to God. No others in comp competition with God. But God alone. Verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation to those that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You may be seated. God knows the tendency of man. To make his own gods. To make gods he can mold to his own preferences, his own comforts, his own lusts. To bow down to other gods is to worship them. God holds the exclusive rights of our worship. He is jealous. We know that God also is love. You could say love is jealous. God's love is a jealous love. It's an exclusive love. He will not share our worship with others. Idolatry is to our relationship with God what adultery is in a human relationship. It's bringing an outside love into a holy, exclusive, covenant relationship. What good husband would allow his wife to bring another man home to live with them and share their bed? No! God forbid! 
his jealous rage would burn and he'd cast them both out. Only a wicked and a perverse man would allow such a marriage. Our holy God rightly demands exclusive love and worship in his people. No other gods. No other gods. There's a mighty weapon that Satan has used against God's people again and again. I'm going to stop here. I just believe the Holy Spirit wants to have your undivided attention. He wants to speak to your spirit, and I'm going to ask him to move in that way. Father, I just, we just need you, God. I pray that every distracted mind would be taken captive to the obedience of Christ. Every wandering thought would be taken captive. And every heart that's shut or cold, Lord, every ear that's dull or of hearing would be opened in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that every person in this place would turn to the Lord. For, Lord, in turning to you, the veil is taken away. Blindness is taken away. Eyesight is given. So, God, I'm asking you for that anointing, God, for these people to hear and to respond to your word in your name. Amen. This mighty weapon that Satan has used against God's people over and over dates all the way back to the golden calf. It's called syncretism. It's the union or the attempted fusion of different, different systems of thought or belief, especially in religion or philosophy. Syncretism is when God's people attempt to combine worship of the true God with false gods or their own idols that they've made. When the people told Aaron to make them gods to go before them, when Moses was receiving the law on Mount Sinai, he hadn't been up there 40 days when they said, we don't know what's happened to this Moses. Make us gods that will go before us. And it says that Aaron took the gold that was in their ears, their earrings, and he fashioned a golden calf. And he made an altar out of those earrings. What an astounding apostasy. It was like... God had called Moses up to the mount to give them his law, his moral law. And it was like this 40 days was like, it was like the beginning of covenant relationship. God was giving them his covenant. It'd be like a man getting married to his wife and at the end of the honeymoon he comes home from the first day of work and he's, he's, planning, he's, he's planning to provide for her, he's planning to, to make a future for her and he comes home and she's with another man. What do you think his response would be? He'd be furious. That's what happened with God. God was furious when he saw this golden calf and this apostasy and that they had, they had forgotten him, all the miracles he did so quickly. And they turned aside. They knew better. He had told them. He had told them, don't make the image. Don't follow the, the practice of the heathen nations. Don't bow down to any other God but me. I'm the only true God. I'm the only one worthy of your worship. Don't do it. And they did it. And Satan was involved in this. And Aaron then added to the problem. Aaron tried to combine the worship with this abomination with worshiping the Lord. Exodus 32, 5 and 6 says, So when Aaron saw it, the golden calf, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. You see, they had this golden calf and, and Aaron said, Well, let's try to make it better by worshiping God. We'll have a feast to him. We'll offer sacrifices, peace offerings. No, he only made it worse. See, you can't combine false worship with the true worship of God. He rejects it outright. If Moses hadn't stood in the gap for the nation of God, God would have wiped them all out. God was ready to start over with a new nation from Moses. But Moses stood up as a type of Christ here, interceding for broken sinners, interceding for those that deserve God's wrath. Just as Christ did for us at the cross, he took upon himself the judgment and the wrath that we deserve. <clears throat> this pattern of worshiping the Lord while secretly keeping and worshiping idols was the greatest downfall of God's people throughout their history. 
After God wrote the same commandments on the second set of tables or tablets, he renewed the covenant with Moses. He told them he was going to do something the world had never seen. He was going to do something terrible. We think terrible in a a negative sense. Terrible, he means in an awesome sense, in, in an incredible sense. Something awesome. He was going to cast out seven nations, seven heathen people groups from the land of Canaan for their idolatry and their wickedness. You see, while Israel was in Egypt for 400 years, it says that the sin of the Amorites was coming to the full and that God was waiting patiently for them to come to repentance, but they just got worse and worse over 400 years and God marked them out for judgment. As if their their iniquity was filling the cup of God's wrath. And God said, I'm going to wipe these people out. These seven nations, they are so vile. They are so wicked. He was cast them out for their idolatry. He was going to give his people their land. And he warned them, don't make peace with the people of the land. Exodus 34, 13 and 14 says, But you shall destroy their altars. Break their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. You shall tear down their altars. Break their idols, their sacred pillars, their wooden groves, their worship places. Go in there and destroy them. Why would a loving God burn with such fury and destruction against these native people groups who worship their own gods? Many believers today are embarrassed by this and they don't have an answer for it. But remember, God doesn't change. Listen to what scripture says happened when Israel later failed to tear down the pagan altars and idols and they began to worship these gods themselves. Deuteronomy 32, 17 says they sacrificed or God's people sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know, to new gods, to new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Behind the idols the people worshipped were demons, satanic angels. And these demons influenced entire people groups, these seven nations, to commit the most heinous crimes in sexual perversion. In their idolatry, these people practiced human sacrifice of their own children. They offered them to Moloch and to Baal. They burned their own children in the fire. They were a people who became so vile and wicked, God had to destroy them in his righteousness. Did you know that the current world we live in is reserved for God's judgment? Did you know that the cup of God's wrath, the the cup of wickedness is being filled up, and the cup of God's wrath is being filled up in, in equal measure? And that he's reserved this current earth not for not for uh, utopia, as witnesses say, heaven on earth. He's going to destroy this earth, this world, with fire, judgment. And then he's going to bring in a new kingdom, the kingdom of his son. And those who are his people, the righteous, are going to reign with him. We're going to shine forth as the stars in the universe. We're going to be reigning with Christ on a new, in a new heaven, in a new earth. Praise God. But this current earth, this current world is, is heading toward destruction. And one of the signs of the end time, there would be an increase of wickedness. That cup of wickedness would just be getting more and more and more full. Do you see it? Do you see the cup of wickedness? Do you see that the, the liquid is at the rim? It's about to overflow? Do you see that judgment is at the door? And yet God is a God of mercy. He delights to show mercy to his people. But Peter said that it's time for judgment to begin where? In the world? No, I heard it. In the house of God. God's judgment begins in the house of God. Why? To destroy God's people? No. To correct. To redeem. To bring his people to repentance so that his presence can dwell with us again. God has once again seen the blood of the innocents in the earth. You read the Bible, there are many things that God will overpass and be patient with, but the shedding of innocent blood, it says over and over again, I will judge. 
for the shedding of innocent blood. Consider this, that in America, since in the last 50 years, this is a conservative estimate that, that 65 million babies have been aborted. 65 million in this nation alone. Consider this, worldwide, roughly 121 million unintended pregnancies. This was from an abortion website, a pro-abortion website. Roughly 121 million unintended pregnancies occurred each year between 2015 and 2019. Of these unintended pregnancies, 61% ended in abortion. It's just a baby I don't want. You know what that is? That's a God. It's a God of convenience. It's an idol of convenience. I don't want this baby. This, this messes up my life. It messes up my plan for my future. Listen, 61% in the last five years, or the years between 2015 and 19, 61% ended in abortion. This translates to 73 million abortions per year. That's 365 million abortions in five years. 365 million. That's 30, that's 35, that's 30 million more than the current U.S. population. That would be as if Russia and China together nuked the United States and there were no survivors. And 30 more people, 30 million more people in Canada were wiped out, completely annihilated. That's how many millions of babies have been aborted in the last 50 years. Think about that. I'm sorry, five years, 365 million in five years. Multiply that times 10, that's 3.65 billion if the rate was the same. It's probably lower, it's probably increased. But let's just say it's 2 billion. There's 7 billion people on the planet. Or maybe it's more now. Think about that. There, that that's more than all the wars probably ever in humanity combined. I said this before when I talked about abortion. If you've had an abortion, there's mercy at the cross. There's forgiveness for the woman who's seen what she's done and wants pardon. There's forgiveness and God can make you as if you had never sinned and reunite you with your baby in heaven. What an incredible, merciful God. Let me ask you a question. What would you think of a Christian who went to three worship services a week yet secretly worship demons. What would you think if they worship demons on the side? Paul said that behind the idols of the heathen are demonic powers. 1 Corinthians 10, 20 and 21 says, Rather, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. You see that God says, I hate this syncretism. You can't combine the worship of, of, of Satan and my worship. What was that golden calf? It was a picture of Satan. Behind the golden calf was the devil himself. While there's not a demon under every rock, there is certainly a demon behind every false god. Every other worship, every other idol. In Amos 5, 23 to 26, God said, Take away from me the noise of your songs. I won't hear the melody of your stringed instruments. He's saying, take away your worship music. I don't want to hear it anymore. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? Remember when they wandered in the, in the desert for 40 years? They were sacrificing to God. They were worshiping God. They were singing songs to God. But then verse 26 says, You also carried Sikoth, your king, or your idol to Molech. And Chion, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. God says, I saw that while you were worshiping me and praising me, you had a little idol in your robe. You had an idol back at your, at your camp, in your tent, underneath your stuff. Like Rachel, when she took her father's idols and she sat on the camel, and Laban came looking for his household gods, and she said, I don't know where they are. And she sat on her camel, and she said, it's my time of month. I can't get up, Father. But she had hidden the idols in the stuff. 
See, God says, I saw you worshiping me. I saw your songs and they sounded so good. But you were worshiping me with a divided heart. You were combining your other loves and your other worships while you sang your songs. And he said, take away the noise, the racket of your songs. You have to serve only me. How much worship music is made today for the glory of the musician? The idol is the self-glorification of the person's talent. And they're singing worship songs, but you know what? Give them an opportunity in the world. Give them a greater platform in the world. They'll switch over to the world. Why? Because the idol was always there. And God said, I heard it in your song, and it didn't please me. Take away the noise of your songs. God isn't saying, I don't want worship. He's saying, I want worship in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. How does this apply to us today? We don't have little wood statues that we've got stuck in our pocket or at home. We don't have things overlaid with gold and silver. How does this apply today? Listen, I believe this is the most idolatrous generation that's ever existed. And we as Americans are the most idolatrous church, church age. Ezekiel 14.3 says, Son of man, these men have set up their idols where? In their hearts. And they put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Oh, it's just a little idol. Guess what? It's going to cause you to fall into greater sin. They set up their idols where? In their hearts. Ezekiel 8, 12. Then he said to me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients or the old men of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery or his imagination... For they say the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the earth. God says, I see what those religious men do in the dark. I see how they look in front of other people and look so holy. But in the dark, they're worshiping other gods. What are the common idols in our day in the Western church? In the modern church world, mainly two things. There are many, and I don't want to try to name them all because the Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction. If I tried to name them all, I'd miss the one the Holy Spirit's speaking right to your heart. I believe that the primary ones, though, are money and entertainment. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the demon behind money. Money is not evil in itself, but to love it is evil. It's where all evil comes from. It's the root of all evil. But entertainment, we are an entertainment culture. We are an entertainment crazed culture. And it's made its way in, into the church. Ezekiel speaks as if he was alive today. And he says, what God's people, they're, what they're doing in the dark. Every man in the chambers of his imagery. What, what are you looking at in the dark? What are you looking at in private? Are you, are you sanctifying your time to worship and know this living God that you say you serve? Or are you just... Is your head bowing? We've all seen it. You walk into a, an airport or something, a, a restaurant, and if people aren't talking, they're all like this. Their heads are bowed. They're all worshiping this little device in their hand. At least that's what it looks like. TikTok has perfected algorithms based on your interest to keep you too addicted to scrolling. Is this not worship? When YouTube does the shorts and you watch, you're like, thing, 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 thing. Entertainment, entertainment. And you're just obsessed. Is this not worship? Globally, people average seven hours of screen time per day. In America, it's the same. Daily screen time has increased by nearly 50 minutes per day since 2013. The average American spends seven hours and four, seven hours and four minutes looking at a screen each day. Listen, friends, I'm not saying that all screen time is idolatry, but isn't it time we examine our lives in this area? A friend said to me, he said, when you watch TV, he said, you should take a notepad, write down the time when you start, and when you're done, write down the time when you finish. Not even just thinking about the content, that it's glorifying God, that there's not blasphemy and, and, and uncleanness and, and things of the world, the glory of the world. I thought that's a great idea. 
ask God to reveal idolatry and turn from the, the idol of worldly entertainment. Isn't it time that we do this? To ask God to help us find joy in him again? What would the Apostle Paul say about our church generation if he were here today? Remember when he went through Athens, he said that the whole city was given to idolatry? What would he say about the church of Jesus Christ? What would he say about us if he could look into our individual lives? In 2 Kings 17, listen, both houses of Israel, Judah and Israel, had so turned to idol worship that they were practicing witchcraft and causing their children to be sacrificed in the fire to false gods. God sent them prophets to rebuke them and turn them back to God, but they hardened their necks and they refused to repent. So God gave them, God cast them out of the land and, that he promised them and he sent the Assyrian army to do it and he removed them into Assyria. But their land was empty now and the, as the practice of foreign kings was they would bring other, other people they'd captured and they would place them and so the king of Assyria placed other people in Samaria in the land of Israel. And when the people were living there, they were practicing their, their normal idolatry. They had their idols. This group had their idols. That group had their idols. And it said that God sent lions into the, into the land, and the lions killed some of them. And the people spoke out about it, and they said, this is, you know, what's going on? And they talked to the authorities, and they said, look, the people don't know the rituals of the God of the land. In other words, the God of Samaria, the God of Israel, they don't know those. And so God's, this, this God of the land is judging them. Send for a priest of Israel to come and to teach the people who are living now in Israel, not the Israelites, but Gentiles, to how to worship God, how to worship that God, how to follow his rituals. And so a priest came and he, and he taught them, he taught them the rituals of God. He taught them the pattern of worshiping God. Listen. 2 Kings 17, um, I'm sorry, 2 Kings 17, 27. I want to say this, that for many people in America... Following Christ is just the rituals of Christianity. It's a cross on your neck. It's a church occasionally. It's, it's, it's the rituals of Christianity. But with it are all the same idols of the world. It's syncretism. Listen, it says in 2 Corinthians 17, 29, however, every nation continued to make gods of his own. So, so they learned... They learned from the priest how to, how to worship God. They don't, we don't want the lions killing us. How do, we, how do we serve this God of Samaria? How do we serve this God of Israel? But it says they continued to make gods of their own, and they put them in the shrines of the high places which the Samaritans had made. Samaritans were cast out for their idolatry, but they still had the, the places, the idol groves, and the Gentiles just came and said, oh, that's a perfect place for my idol. When you allow idols in your home as a mother, as a father, your children are going to put bigger idols in those spots. Don't think that your small sin is going to stay small. The next generation is going to blow it out of the water. You say, I don't sacrifice my kids to, to, to demons. I don't, I don't, what in the world are you talking about? Guess what? If you have other gods and other idols in your life, don't be surprised when your kids go off to college and they forget everything you taught them about God. Don't be surprised when they go off to college and they say, I don't believe in God anymore. Why? Because your worship was not true. Your worship was divided and the little idols you had in the little spaces became big idols to them and they completely forgot God. That's sacrificing your children to this world. You need to have the reality of the true worship of God in your life. You need to have a fire of God in your life that your children will see and if they turn away from it, then they've turned away from reality. Not a double-hearted person. So it says they feared the Lord, verse 33, and served their own gods. That's syncretism. Oh, well, I fear God. You know, it's like, well, Elvis was a Christian. He made a Christian album, right? 
Well, well, well yeah. These, 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 uh, these people that, that make a Christian album say they came to Jesus and then put out their next album and it's filth? And we say, oh yeah, they're believers. They're, they're, they're man of God now. Child of God. No. 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 Coming to Christ is putting away the world. It's putting away the other idols. It's smashing the altars and the idols of the world to build a true altar to Christ, which is it's his cross. It's just us coming to his cross. But you can't have both. Unto this day they do after their former manners and they fear not the Lord. God says that's not the fear of God. That's not the true fear of the Lord. Adding the rituals of Christianity while holding the gods of this world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is not the fear of God. When God revealed his glory to Moses, this is after that event, the, the, the golden calf was ground to powder, the new tablets, the new commandments were given, and God had said, I, I'm not even going with you. I'm just sending my angel, my representative. He'll bring you into the land, but my presence won't go with you. Moses said, please, God, if your presence doesn't go, don't send us. I'm not going if you don't go with us. I'm not going if you don't go. And God, Moses said, show me your glory. If I found grace with you, show me your glory. Show me your face. He said, no one can see my face and live, but I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll, I'll pass by, and I'll declare myself. You know what we need? We need people looking to Jesus' face and falling over dead, like Daniel did, like John the Revelator did. We need to see his face. So God put Moses in the cleft of the rock. And this is this incredible time where God reveals himself in his greatest way to a man. And you know what he says here? It says in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, The Lord passed by before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, that's who he is, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and sin. That's God. He's merciful. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Listen to this. And that will by no means clear the guilty. Well, what does that mean? It just said he's merciful and long-suffering and, and forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. And now it says he won't clear the guilty? What does this mean? This seems confusing. What is God saying? He's saying that he's both merciful and forgiving of iniquity and sin but he's also unwilling to pardon or clear the guilty. What's he talking about? He's talking about two groups of people. There's two kinds of sinners. There's two groups. One receives mercy and the other he won't forgive. One group of sinners come to God with sincerity and turn from their other gods to serve him alone. And the other group hold fast to their other gods and say, I want to serve my gods and God. And God said, I will not pardon the latter group. Do you understand that? He will not pardon those who hold on to their idols. He says, you got to get rid of them. you got to break them down. you got to come to me in repentance, and I will meet you with mercy. God will always meet the one who comes to him in sincerity with mercy. Here's what the, the prophet Joshua said. When he charged the people, his last words, some of his last words, and some of you have a plaque of some of these words up in your house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen to what he says. He's speaking to the Israelites, and he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Verse 15, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now the people then responded. I'm not going to go to that verse, but they responded and said, we're going to serve the Lord. We're, we're, we're serving God. Listen to what Joshua said. If you forsake the Lord, I'm sorry, verse 19. And Joshua said unto the people, listen, you cannot serve the Lord. For he is a holy God, and he is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. What is he saying? He's saying, God sees your idols, 
And if you're not willing to get rid of them, then just leave God and go and serve them. But do not think that you can serve God and your idols. He said, in this condition, you cannot serve the Lord. He's holy and he's jealous and he won't forgive your transgression and your sin if you live this way. God is saying the same thing to the church today. He's saying, if you're you're my bride, you say you love me and you say you worship my father, you have to make a choice to come out and be separate. You have to make a choice to cut off all other idols in your life to serve me in sincerity and truth. And I'll forgive all your sins. I'll bear with your struggles. I'll bear with your trials. But you've got to cast down your idols. You've got to put them away. You can't hide them anymore. You can't hide them anymore and pretend. Verse 20, he said, if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he's done you good. Think of the husband who comes home and his new wife is having adultery. Would you say, oh, don't be so mad. Don't be so angry. No, you'd say, oh my. I'm backing off here. That's a lot of wrath. God is holy. His jealousy is because he's pure. Some perverted man would say, yeah, I have an open marriage. God is holy. He says, you can't have any other gods, any other idols before me. Now, therefore, he said, put away the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart, direct your heart, turn your heart to the Lord God of Israel. God is merciful. If there's anyone here today, we're going to have an altar call. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you of idols in your heart that you want to smash and get rid of and and serve God in sincerity and truth, the Lord is going to meet you with such tenderness and mercy. But I warn you today, don't leave here with your idols saying, I can serve both. God said you can't do it. Joshua said you can't do it. Don't even try. May as well leave the church. May as well go live a life of sin. Give yourself over to the devil because you're already worshiping him. Listen, in 1 Samuel 5, the ark of God was captured. Eli, the priest, fell over dead. He was a heavy man. He fell over dead. He was a compromised priest. And in 1 Samuel 5, the ark of the covenant, which represented the presence of God, came into the Philistines' camp. And you know what they did? They, the, the Philistines looked at the ark of God as, as the source of his power. And they thought, we're going to take this ark and we're going to put it next to, in the temple of Dagon, our God. We're going to put it right next to Dagon. We're going to increase our power. We're going to have two gods. It's going to be great. So they had the ark of the covenant, Dagon, they came the next morning and you know what happened? Dagon was flat on his face, knocked off his pedestal right before the ark of the Lord. God said, I don't have any people here to cast out idols. You put me before this false god to to Satan, I'm going to cast it down. They came in, they said, oh my goodness, what happened here? I, I didn't feel an earthquake last night. They took Dagon and they set him back up in his place, propped him back in his place next to the Ark of the Covenant. They came back the next day, the next morning. You know what happened? Dagon was flat on his head, face again, but now his head and his hands were cut off. And all that was left was the stump of Dagon. God is a jealous God. God is a holy God. You know what the Philistines did? They got rid of it. God was was plaguing them in their bodies with tumors in their private parts. They were terrified. People were dying. They sent the ark to another town. More terror came on them, more more, more, uh, judgments of God. They sent it to a third town. They said, what are you trying to kill us? They said, send back the ark of God. They sent back the ark of God with two milk cows, dropped their heads and lowed and carried it all the way back straight to Israel. What is God saying? He's saying, you can have no other gods before me. I want my power in your life. I want my presence in your life. I want you to experience that my life is real. 
but you can't set me up before your other gods. It's time that we break down the other idols. It's time that we break down and grind to powder the false altars. Gideon couldn't have his victory until he cast down his father's altar to Baal. The Philistines chose one God over the other. They chose their stump of Dagon. Who do you choose today? Who do you choose? Those who really fear the Lord don't excuse or make peace with their sins or idols. They hate them and tear them down by the Spirit of the Lord. We cannot serve at two altars. The whole world, listen, is, lit, is moving toward one of two altars today. Everyone. The worship of the one true God, that altar, or the worship of the God of this world. All the idols of this world bow to the God of this age. All of them. They all lead to worship to the God of this age. Revelation 13, 14 through 15. I have a few more passages to go through. Stick with me. This is important. Revelation 13, 14, and 15. And he, the false prophet, this is at the end of, of days. This is in the, in the, in the seven-year tribulation. There's a beast, there's a false prophet, and there's the dragon, which is Satan himself. The beast is the Antichrist. The false prophet is the one who speaks and causes people to worship the beast. And it says, And he, the false prophet, deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs or miracles which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image. Here's the idol. Make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived the false death and resurrection of the Antichrist. Make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived, and he was granted power, listen, to give breath to the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The Antichrist and the false prophet are going to have such power that the false prophet prophesies to an inanimate object and it comes to life and speaks. And he has power to cause those who don't worship it, who won't bow down, to be killed. If you won't throw down your idols now and worship Christ, how will you stand then when they say you can't buy or sell unless you worship the beast and receive the mark of his image? How will you stand? This is a strong message, but it's a mercy call, friends. It's a mercy call to every one of us to worship God with no other gods. Listen, verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 16 through 17. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except the one that has the mark or the name of the beast on the, or the number of his name. Revelation 14, 11. Listen, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. The smoke of whose torment? And they have no rest day or night who, what, worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Everyone's moving to worshiping at one of two altars, God's altar, the true altar, or the altar of the beast. There's no other way, no other way. Listen, Revelation 18.4, this is where the sermon title came from. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. I hear the compassion of God. Come out of her, my people. Out of who? Out of this world system. Out of this idolatrous system. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and you receive of her plagues or judgments. He's saying, come out. There's still time. Come out. Follow me and follow me only, God is saying. 2 Corinthians 6, 15 through 18 says, What accord or what union is there between Christ and Satan or what part does a believer have with an unbeliever and what agreement has the temple of God which we are with idols for you are the temple of the living God as God has said I will dwell in them and walk among them I will be their God and they shall be my people praise God God doesn't want to dwell in Dagon's temple he wants he lives in us he dwells in us Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. 
and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God treats his sons and daughters like royalty. He gives them more than they could ever earn. He says, come out from among them and be separate. God wants your love, your undivided worship. It's time to cast away all other idols. Then the power of God's presence will return to the church. Then the grace of God will flow to the humble. Then the revival we're looking for will come. But he's not going to come and revive a church that's worshiping at other altars. Joshua 24, 23, I'll read it one more time. Now therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. Turn your heart toward him. Right now, every one of you has a decision. Every one of you has a decision to make. Are you turning to the Lord with true and sincere and full-hearted worship? Or are you going to continue to try to live with syncretism, worshiping your gods and him at the same time? God's calling you. Moses said this when he came down from the mountain. He saw the, the golden calf and the people naked dancing around the wicked idol. He said, he who is on the Lord's side, let him come to me. Make a decision. Come. Come to Christ fully. God is calling you to come to his side. Put a sword on you. Take up the sword and slay everything. Kill everything in your life which is worship to the God of this age. Praise God. When Israel was free from idolatry and Balak the king hired Balaam to curse them, Balaam couldn't do anything but prophesy good to them and, and peace to them because God was with his people when there was no false god with them. It says that when there was no idol in their camp, they had the shout of a king and the roar of a lion. There was no enchantment. There was no way the devil could get them. And it frustrated Balak to no end. The only way they could fall is if they would compromise with other idols. And that's how they ended up falling with the Baal of Peor. It, God is wanting his church to become a holy bride, ready for his son's return, longing for his son's return. And my friend, I want to preach grace to you every Sunday. I want you to be filled and built up with the grace of God. But my friend, the grace of God is effective on the humble. He gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. If you've got some idols in your heart, don't be proud, too proud to admit it. Come and ask God. God knows. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. God knows. I open this altar for you to come and just to pray. If you've got some things you need to cast down, you need to break down, it's demo time, it's demolition time, it's smash time. I love smash time. When I have a, a job and there's a demolition time, I love going there and smash stuff. God says, I want you to smash stuff. I want you to smash the idols in your heart. I want you to smash the other loves that compete with my love. And I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Make an altar. Make Come back and build the true altar of God. You can't rebuild the true altar. You can't start construction until the demolition's done. Come and, come and, and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what do I need to cast down? What do I need to repent of? Give me the grace. Give me the strength to turn. My heart is cold. I don't feel like turning, but ask him to help you. Ask him. Je Jeremiah said, turn me, Lord, and I will be turned. After I was turned, then I repented. Ask him to turn you. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks in this place. This is you before God. This is you before holy God. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 
Lord, help us to smash every idol, every other God. Help us to see them, God. Help us to see that which, which you see. That maybe we've justified and excused so many times, God. We, even now, we're not touched, God. We don't, we don't see it. God, touch us. Open our eyes to see what we don't see, God. Lord, we don't have to go on a witch hunt, but we ask for the spirit of the living God to show us, Lord. Show us the things in us that are false gods, false worship. Show us, Lord God, in your mercy. Because, Lord, there's two kinds of sin you'll forgive. The one where people come to you with sincerity and humility. And the other you won't when they say, no, I'm fine. I'm fine with my idols. I'm fine. It'll be fine. God, I plead for these people in Jesus' name. That you would do a work that only you can do, Lord. I've given you what you said to give, Lord. I just give the rest to you, Jesus. Jesus. Bring true repentance and bring true refreshing in your presence, Lord. Bring true refreshing, my God. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Just lay it down before him. Whatever he's put his finger on in your heart, lay it down before him right now. Just give it to him. Give it to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, living God. Praise you, living God. Praise you, God. That thing you're ashamed of, that thing you've had in the secret, in the dark, that you bow down to, you don't want anyone else to know, just give it to God. Give it to God. When his victory, his deliverance comes by bringing it to the light, it's going to be a thing you're not ashamed of anymore because you're going to say, I walked in that worship. I walked in that falseness. But Jesus set me free. He delivered me. And now I walk in his light and his freedom. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, living God. Praise you, living God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.